Hi, Chris. Who are you? Yeah, good evening, Rod. Here we are. Episode 55 in the cold shed. For the 8th of February, 2022. Coming a little late this week. We apologise, everyone. Yeah, our calendars just didn't marry up, did they? But we're here now. That's the important thing. We are. And for those of you that like to wait to the end of the week to get it, maybe you'll get two shows really close to each other. If we get next week's out on time, you never know your luck. Yeah, I think something exciting might happen because we haven't got a huge amount to talk about this week and <laughs> next week's show is looking a little thin too. So we're trying to think of more topics, I think. Well, as we've done it a little bit later in the week, there's been a lot of news about ChatGPT and it coming to other tech firms. And we touched on that a little bit a couple of weeks ago. So uh, maybe we'll sort of follow up on the big tech moves in that sector next week. I think that might be quite an interesting thing for us to sort of dig down deep a bit on. Yeah, and I'd like to look into what Microsoft are doing. I've heard about it. I've listened to some podcasts, but I want to actually go and touch it and, and kick the tires. Yeah, you've got to sign up. I'm never keen on giving Microsoft more than I need to. See, we're, we're already talking about it. I, Google have immediately followed up saying they've got Bard and then Apple are talking about something too. So I think let's, that's probably enough of a sneak taster preview for that. We'll do that G- next week. Google, don't forget us. We're still in the search space. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, that, so that's good. I think we should dive straight into follow-up. Yeah, let's do it. So energy efficiency ratings, how do they work? So I did go away and do a little bit of reading about this. We seem to have a discrepancy on on your studio displays and my building. And basically you get an energy efficiency rating from A to G on that category of device or building. So the ones for a building, unsurprisingly, aren't the same the ones for a microwave oven. And they've recently been revised because when they were set in the first place, obviously things have changed. Most devices are a lot more efficient. So they've changed in scale in the last six years, I think it was, something like that. So when you're looking at your TV, it's more comparable to a monitor one, whereas the building one isn't comparable to your microwave oven. So that's how that works. A is better. You get better than A as well, or you certainly, you'll see better than A in some scales that are still to be revised or have just been revised. But that's basically the way they work. A is good. G is bad. So I've still got the world's worst monitor yeah, basically. Because it's an E, I think we said. I did go back into the same Apple store, but they didn't have any Pro Display XDRs in there. Because so I was like, okay, if we're comparing monitors to monitors, I wonder what the Pro Display XDR is, but they didn't have one, so, so I don't know. Interesting. So we might follow up on this again and see if we can just keep an eye every so often and see how the screens are. I mean, I presume my screen here, if I went on the Philips website and looked, it would tell me how energy efficient it was. In fact, it probably had the thing stuck to it when I took it out of the box, but maybe monitors just aren't very efficient. Yeah, maybe they're big old screens, aren't they? So, and they light up a lot of pixels. So maybe, maybe that's it. Okay. So, have you done any other homework this week? I have. You went on and on at me to have a look at Succession, and in the spirit of me going on and on at you to go and watch Taskmaster, I went and I have watched two and five minutes episodes worth of Succession. I managed five minutes of the third episode, and I thought, no. I don't like any of these people. They're hateful, horrible, evil, nasty people. Yeah, they're horrible people. people. I don't care about what happens to them. I don't care about their problems. The only one I'm vaguely interested had a stroke and isn't in it anymore. I don't think I want to watch this. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll say it's clearly very well made. The music is good. The acting is excellent. But I, I just don't like them. And to just, I will let you get a word in in a minute. We should, I should maybe put this in media, but it's homework. In contrast to something like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is also full of people who are absolutely hateful and horrible, at least they're funny. I really struggle with succession. Maybe I'll go back to it, but that's my take on it. I'm sorry you didn't like it. By the way, Brian Cox does survive all three series and is in fact in series four. I think I just, I enjoy it because of some of the parallels I've seen at a previous company I've worked for. Even one of the, the people, look, one of the main characters looks like somebody I used to work for. So I think that's why I enjoy it. And you're not meant to like the people. They're horrible people. 
they would call over anybody to be in control of the company, hence why it's called Succession. I, and I can't explain why I really enjoyed it, but I've watched all three series twice all the way through and I'm dying for series four to come out, which I think is March. But I'm, I'm sorry you don't like it, but you've probably never worked in companies like I've worked for. So uh, there are some parallels that I've seen. So um, I think that's why I enjoyed it. No, fair enough. And you're not the only person that tells me it's wonderful. There's a few people I work with. Are, oh, you're going to watch Succession at last. Fantastic, fantastic. And, you know, I'll have to go back and tell them I've tried and failed as well, maybe. But who knows? Maybe on one, you know, particularly bitter March evening or something, I'll have another go and see if I can get through it. Because maybe it's a bit like Peaky Blinders or something like that. Once I get sort of past, sort of, I settle into the mindset, I really start to enjoy it a little bit more. So I do see the quality, though. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. See, for me, I was probably hooked on episode one. I don't know why. And the music, though, you must admit, the score is fantastic. Oh, absolutely. Love it. In fact, I've been listening to it. Yeah, it is very good. So, okay. Look, it would be really dull if we were all the same and we all like the same things, wouldn't it? So I'll let, I'll let you off. But I did commit to at least six seasons of Taskmaster, I'm just saying. At least six. You gave up at six, though. So, you know, is that the same as two, two episodes of five minutes? I okay. paused. So you haven't tried the bleep Taskmaster. That should probably have been in our follow-up homework. No, I, I yeah, that is still on the homework pile to do at some point with my children. Fair enough. That was Sorry. it for me. Have you got any homework? I've got to make some icons for the end of the show, which I haven't got around to doing the album artwork for. So that's a job for the weekend, I think. Fair enough. Good. And the last piece of follow-up was, have you got something on the news on your iPad M1, M2 swap? Yeah, so went back into Apple. They got me a replacement iPad. So basically, they've just got me the set, exactly the same iPad that I had before but without a faulty port, cost me zero money. So I went and picked that up this week. I just wiped my old one as we discussed to make sure it was all backed up, wiped it, popped the SIM card. I did remember to take it out. They gave me my new one. I used their Wi-Fi to start setting it up and it all went relatively straightforward. I did regret hotspotting it to my phone to leave it downloading all the data whilst I had to drive for two hours after doing this. And by the time I got there, it burnt through all of my phone's data. And I have 100 gigabytes of data on my phone which I barely use normally. And so I got I got to the hotel at the other end. And what EE do though, which I quite was quite impressed with EE, they said, you've run out of all your data, but don't worry, you can still use data, it would just be incredibly slow. So they don't properly cripple you. And I thought, actually, do you know what? And I only had four days to go, so I just left it in slow mode and it was fine. But my iPad's fully restored and you literally wouldn't know I've got a replacement iPad, apart from I can now use my, my studio display again. So very happy. Apple's super helpful. And they just let me, I said, can I just stay in the store and use the Wi-Fi while I configure it? I won't get in the way. And they were really good. And generally, what lovely people in there offered to help me. Can they, can they do anything? I was like, we just got to let it, you know, it's just a progress bar. So I did have a little play on all the new gadgets out there. Nice. What, what I did find a little disappointing though is a couple of things. One, I was looking at the new M2 Mac Minis. This is no, no physical change. Had a look around the Mac laptops, no physical change. Had a look at some of the iPads. I'm just a bit bored with all the design because everything, nothing's really changed that much. I want Apple to bring out something exciting. Well, I think at that point we can dive straight into the news and talk about the rumour of something exciting then. So our first story is a, a rumour from Minchi Kuo, who's a we've talked about him on the show before. He's a, a frequent Apple tipster between him and Mark Gurman are sort of the best regarded Apple sort of leakers of what's coming in the supply chain and what's going on within Apple. And Minchi Kuo has announced that there may be a folding iPad launch next year ahead of a folding iPhone. So this would be something the size of an iPad in line with some of the Samsung devices and I think Motorola also do folding phones, folding glass phones, where you could take something the size of your 12.1 inch iPad and fold it into sort of a 
five point something inch, a six point something inch, whatever the size would be with the bezels and things of it. And then just open it out when you need it. What do you think of this rumor? And I can't tell you why I'm mixed on it. I think part of me is like, yes, this would be amazing. I could have an iPad mini that folds into the size of my iPad Pro. Sign me up right now. And then I was like, oh, I still need a big keyboard though to go with it because part of the reason I don't have the smaller iPad Pro is because the keyboard's too small and the trackpad's too small. So I'm a bit mixed on it. And also, I don't know if you've seen many of these foldy phones, but the crease in the middle of the screen, I think that would drive me mad, especially when you look at the iPad I've got. that has got the mini LED. It's a fantastic screen. Would the, the crease in the middle of the screen annoy me? And I think it would. But... I think you need to see it. And um, would Apple sprinkle some secret sauce on the top, which Samsung haven't done? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Maybe that's why we've not seen anything from Apple in this space. But I was sat next to somebody today at a conference. They have this Samsung, the, is it the Fold? Yeah, the Fold, not the Flip. That's a, it's a chunky phone. The screen, when you open it up, is like, whoa, that's cool. You've got a massive screen on your phone. You can like actually get some emails done on it or browse the web. Fantastic. But then when you fold it up, it's like, whoa, that's huge in your pocket. So I think I'm 50-50 on it. But you know what? I'd love them to try it and see what it looks like. What do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, the rumor is iPad for 24 iPhone for 25. And just if we deal with the I, A, I think it's the wrong way around. I, I, to me, if I could fold my iPhone in half, you know, iPhone Pro, Max Pro, it's huge. If I could have half that size in my pocket when I'm not using it, I'm all over that. I'm, I, I totally get that. If they can get rid of the creases, you've said. So there's that. How would you want it to work though? So the thing with the Samsung Fold is you get like a little screen on the outside and then you open up the inside and you get a massive screen. Is that a benefit? I guess on a phone, you do want your notifications. Yeah. Would you want that to be a big color screen or could it be like a thin e-ink screen or something? I, you know, I'm trying to work through the practicalities. Well, I was so I was going to come at that because thinking about an iPad, you'd want another screen on the outside of that as well. So, I mean, and there's the whole, well, now I'll get to the iPad in a minute. I'll finish my thoughts on the phone. Yeah, fold my phone in half. There's all there's something quite cool about flipping your phone open. I don't know if you had any of the Nokia phones that flicked open or any of the Motorola StarTax or, or, or that series of phones that you could unfold in half. They were pretty cool. And I did have a Ericsson T59 that I bought off you, if I remember correctly. It had a very small screen on it, but you folded down the front to reveal the keyboard. That was a cool phone. And I must have had some form of Motorola flippy something or other, I'm sure. So, oh, I don't know. I'm completely mixed on it. On the iPad, though, would you need a screen on the outside? I was just going to ask you that. Because at the moment, when it's in its folio case, you can't see the screen. You have to open it. Could, could the fold screen work like that? Well, this is what I'd hope. I think both devices would need a screen on the outside. The phone particularly, because you want to... I, I suspect Apple have an advantage in that most people, well, a lot of people have a watch as well. So they can sort of triage the notifications and things like that on their watch before they open up their phones. So you've got an idea of what's going on there, at least. It's not in Samsung world where less people potentially have the watches and things and you do want to check your notifications and things. But Apple are quite good at screens. I think they could get a half-decent small screen on the outside of the phone. You know, potentially, if you didn't have the watch, you could even put the Apple Watch screen on the outside of the phone, actually, thinking about it, and then it opened it up, and then you've got half the size of a thing, and that kind of makes sense to me. I think I'm offering different form factors, because obviously the very small ones and the Pro one, the Mac sizes aren't working that well. The rumors are that they're not selling that well. So doing something different with the phone form factor makes sense to me, and I think the Samsung phones are quite desirable, actually. You know, you see people using them, you kind of see the point. If you've got a purse or small pockets or something like that, being able to fold something larger away into your pocket, it's a bit chunkier. It's not that big a deal, I don't think. Phones make sense. That's that's my thought about phones. Moving on to the iPad, 
I don't think it makes sense at all. In the sense that it's still bloody huge. <laughs> if you fold an iPad, any size iPad actually, maybe not the mini, but then you're not saving a lot by folding a mini in half. In half, you've still got a large chunky device that wasn't pocketable beforehand. As you've said, the fact that you've got a keyboard with it is, is you know, potentially can snap on. It's the accessories that make the iPad more than the iPad itself. And the only potential benefit to having this fold other than reducing the size of it is that you put a virtual keyboard on the bottom half of the screen and you've got a sort of a, a folding thing. And then there's the whole any outy thing with these kinds of devices. You know, you put the screens on the outside so they're always there and you can sort of have them half and half, at which point they can be scratched. Or do you open them up and they're protected? So I don't get the iPad thing. I don't get it at all. Yeah, I think you and I are a million miles away on this. I, I, I think I'm a little interested to see what they could do with it, but I'm not sure if the reality of it is that exciting and i definitely don't want a keyboard that's a screen you know i don't be typing on the screen because it's just not as good is it so i think i'm with you i kind of like two things you said about well one thing you said but led to two ideas in my head of having the foldy screen on on the phone is they could do two things one you have no screen on the outside and so you just use your watch to triage your notifications which most people do anyway how many people look at their watch and then pick up their phone you, you see it all the time or two, they could just put a watch screen on the on the front of the phone and in essence run WatchOS because the phone has already got all the apps installed on it and, and all of that anyway. So I think they've got a couple of options there. Yeah, it's interesting. And as you say, it's it's nice that they're, they're at least experimenting. It's not a surprise they're experimenting in the space with the folding glass. In typical Apple fashion, they may just be waiting for it to be better so you don't have that crease when you unfold them at which point they'll sell as a compelling product. Or they'll, they'll certainly do a great show on the stage of selling us why, why this one is better than what Samsung have done and what Motorola have done and others that have tried, some of the Chinese manufacturers that have tried folding phones. And it lets other people sort out the problems with them. So for those that don't know, when Samsung originally released the Fold, it looked like it came with a screen protector and lots of people peeled the screen protector off and it was actually part of the laminate of, this, of the screen because it was a bendy plastic more than actual glass and ruined the devices. But then... They should never have been shipped in a way that looked like they had something that could be peeled off of it. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. But I think it's positive that they're doing this. I just, phones, yes, iPads, no for me. Yeah, I'm, I, th I think I'm largely with you, unless Apple turn around and blow my mind. One thing I would like to say, though, is fair play to Samsung. They do some really interesting phones. You get the phones with the pens inside them that ping out. They've got some really good stuff going on. Obviously, you've got the Fold and the Flip phones. And I like that they're not just doing what Apple do. I know that they copy Apple in a lot of ways. And I, this gentleman I was sat next to today with the, fo the Fold phone also had in essence, the Samsung iPad, because it looked just like the iPad. Even the, you know, the, the, the unibody, the speaker grills, the SIM card tray and things. But they do, they are doing some fantastic innovation in the phone space, to be fair to them. They are trying out a lot of things. It's quite a good playground, I guess, for other manufacturers, because they can see how robust these devices are, the quality of the screens, etc. So that's good. Yeah, Samsung had an event this uh, last week. They released the S22, not that different from the S21. But Samsung... I wonder if Apple are beginning to copy, Sam copy Samsung a little bit in the sense... Surely they released the S23. So the S23. Sorry, the S23. You're quite right. So they released the S23, but they have a standard one, a plus one, and an ultra one. And the ultra is the one that comes with a pen, as you were talking about. And they haven't vastly changed the form factor this time. They're just a little bit faster. Very Apple move, actually. You know, trimmed this, done that, sped up the other thing, done something at the camera sensor, move on. That makes sense in a market where people aren't really going crazy for the next generation of phones, as sales have shown. But... The rumors are Apple are going to go this way as well. They're going to do standard plus and ultra. So, you know, are Apple copying Samsung in this space now? I think so. And the ultra naming, 
that they've used on the Apple Watch came from Samsung. Very much. Anyway, I think that'll do us for folding iPads. The next, moving on to the next story, and this is once again back to the Twitter shenanigans. So we spoke a couple of weeks ago about Twitter just killing off the API for third-party apps. There have been more jiggery-pokery this week with what's going to happen to bots and things like that, the post on Twitter. So for a brief period of time, there was talk of you would have to pay to make use of the API. So for example, if you Twitter bot that would post baseball scores or football scores in an automated way when they would happen, it brings a lot of value to the platform. He was get, All that was going to get banned. They got a week's notice, unlike no notice that the developers got that this was going to happen. Then there was an announcement that there would be pricing tiers for how often you'd use this posting API as opposed to the one for, for, for apps. And that went away very quickly with Elon rolling back and saying, no, no, high-value bots will still be allowed to post. None of that is actually what I want to talk about in the story. What the story says is, what happens to other APIs within this? So, for example, in the same way that Google allow login to a service with Google, Apple have login with Apple. If APIs and all these things are going the way of the walrus, way of the dodo might be a better simile than that, what happens to login with Twitter? You know, this is becoming a company you can't trust with an API, with your credentials, with your credit card, potentially, depending on what's going on. Why would you ever choose to log in with Twitter? And what happens if he just decides to pull out the server that's up managing the OAuth authentication for Twitter? Quite a lot of people could be left in the lurch. Yeah, I hadn't even thought that logging with Twitter was a thing, but it was. I don't know how widely used it was, like logging with Facebook, Google, etc. I do use the logging with Apple a little bit, but it's a fair point. What happens if that ever goes away? Should we all continue using our email address? Maybe this is a, a lessons learned for all of us. But you, if, I'm not being funny. If I was Elon, I probably would get rid of this. Why would you run this? It adds zero value to you, allowing people to use your Twitter account to log into a third-party service. But You'd need to signpost this one six months out at least. Well, he's not, this is going away. Sorry. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's, it's, but he hasn't given a lot of intention to do that kind of stuff, has he? To do much in the way of signposting. I mean, one week's notice for the bots thing seems like about as good as you're going to get from Elon. But I don't know about it being no value to Twitter. It's a bit stickier if you're on the service. If your Twitter login's there, are you going to just leave Twitter because you've got your login with Twitter stuff? You know, th th there's that. And then there's, I don't know what in the way of metrics you get back from running an OAuth or an authentication service like this. Do you know your users are going off and logging in here and logging in there? And so you can draw the graph from Twitter to whatever service they've logged into. Even if you don't get any sort of other things shared back, you know where they're going. So there may be a little bit of value in that. Yeah, I guess. A bit like Facebook used to do and work out that, oh, look, everybody's going to WhatsApp. Let's buy WhatsApp kind of thing. So I guess, but given everything else they're getting rid of, I'm surprised this is still there, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think it'll go soon, along with other things. So it's just an interesting story when you think how pervasive a lot of these things have become, the sort of the follow-on consequences of the big company you trust to deal with all this stuff with the centralized service, when they go a bit crazy, it's not just the immediate things you notice goes away. It's things like the APIs. It's where you get your weather notifications from, from your bots, your funny Star Trek tweets in an automated way, but also stuff like this. It's probably still there because Elon hasn't realized it's the thing. So wait until he lifts that rock. Yeah. But think how much worse this will be if and when it comes to Facebook. Lots of places had logged in with Facebook. Lots of places got logged in with Google. Now, Google's got a lot more money. They're not going away. But as we said at the top of the show, new technologies are disruptive. The chat GPT thing could make Bing the dominant search platform and more and more people not use Twitter. Who knows? Now, Twitter, so, Google. Suddenly the, suddenly the power, but suddenly the the powerful company becomes the up, the upstarts fighting back to get market share. Remember when IE was the dominant web browser? 
And you, we've all seen those graphs that used to be posted on Twitter of going, you know, showing the year 1999 and I storming in front and Firefox came along and took a bit of it. And then Chrome just ate his lunch. Yeah. Interesting times. Good. So that's that's quite not a bad story. Next story I thought would be particularly interesting to you because I can circle back about your PlayStation VR 2. So this is a story in Ars Technica about Sony having the reported sales expectations for the upcoming PSVR 2 headset. Yeah. So I'm... 70% sure I'm going to cancel my order is where I've landed because whilst I do want to have a go on it, I don't know if I want to spend £500 and B, whether I want to encourage myself or my family to shut themselves away whilst playing computer games, which is what we spoke about last time. So that's where I've landed on it. And it, I am disappointed because I kind of want it to do well, but I do wonder whether VR like this is a bit like 3D Blu-rays. Now, I may well eat my lunch in a year from now when Apple have potentially launched something and we're, we're all buying them and clamoring for them. But I, I'm struggling with it, if I'm honest. I just don't know whether I want this. And I really, I'm in an iron about it. I mean, to be super clear in this story, the original story, Sony is drastically scaling back its sales expectations for next month's launch of the PlayStation VR 2 headset, according to Bloomberg. There's a, there's a bunch of numbers after that. Sony have come back and said in a statement, it has not cut PlayStation VR 2 production numbers and in seeing enthusiasm from PlayStation fans for the upcoming launch. But if that enthusiasm mirrors what you've just said, that's very cagey enthusiasm. I'm interested, but it's a lot It's a lot of money. You could nearly buy two PlayStations if you bought it at the original retail price for the cost of it. And I just don't know whether... I just don't know whether I would get the benefit out of it. Yeah. If you think they sold me the original PSVR headset, I have no interest in this. And that's not, not great. It's not good, is it? No. And whilst we were just talking about Apple now being slow, so to get a Fold device out, what they've done is not get one out too early and it's it's a flop and it puts you off buying the next one. Hopefully they find the right time to launch. And they've often done this. They've often been, often been late to a market. Maybe Sony were too early to get the first one out and it wasn't the right time. And sometimes the... the the tougher decisions are the ones where you say, no, we're not going to launch this thing. So maybe they, they shot themselves in the foot, but I, I'm so mixed on it because I really want to try it. But, but, but I've got lots of buts of why I don't want it, if you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, I'm, I do wonder, though, whether maybe Sony haven't cut the numbers, but they haven't sold that many. So will this thing be discounted six months from now? It's very interesting, isn't it? And it's funny. I'm actually giving a lecture tomorrow on, on product design and product roadmaps and all the rest of it. And the old world of business, you know, you'd have your product launches and you'd have your star performers and your cash cows, as they'd call them, and your dog products and all the rest of it. And then you'd have a, you know, high market share, low growth product, which is down as a question mark in sort of the classic two by two business matrix. I wonder where the original PSVR fits in that because I got to think it's very low market share. For, I doubt they lost much money selling them, but you know, if you're looking at the graph of how that charted and its growth and its usage, it must have been good enough for them to try and take a punt at version two. If version two doesn't perform very well, this is probably the end of the VR market in Sony. Potentially. But imagine how much they've sunk into this. But does it need somebody like an Apple to come along and do something and then actually it will, it will drive that whole the whole sector up? I don't, I, know. I don't know. We keep talking about this. You know, we've we've done it. You no. Know, every couple of weeks going back a few months about all oh, potential Apple headset or the one the Oculus Quest Meta Quest try and get this right the Meta Quest and the Meta Pro and there isn't a killer app for them we can't agree that it's games we can't agree that it's meetings we can't agree that it's you know sitting around virtually doing a thing together whatever it is that they give you I 
really beginning to doubt if there is a lot of depth in this market. It's a fun toy for 30 minutes or an hour or something like that. No more once a week from even people that are quite enthusiastic about the headsets. I don't think at the moment there isn't anything compelling about them. And the lack of confidence from stories like this, even though Sony have refuted it, just makes me think that it, it, th these are not in the right place yet. And I'm not sure Apple have got a compelling story for a potentially three grand headset that's going to slot into this market and everybody's going to buy because of the joy of the App Store. Because frankly, we're back to meetings and, I don't know, threes on your VR Apple VR headset as well. Is somebody going to turn around and show us the light? That's the thing. Like, is somebody going to show us that killer thing? I, I, I really don't know. So I'm interested how it plays out, but I, I think I'm going to cancel my order. Fair enough. I mean, if you look back, I remember the virtuality headset from when I was a teenager. So that's going back 30 years or something like that. We've been talking about, you know, lawnmower man, virtual reality headsets. And all right, computers have got faster, batteries have got better, wires have got shorter. You know, the graphics look better eventually before case screens and all the rest of it. But the actual enthusiasm for them doesn't seem to have moved on any further than it was 30 years ago. It's a long time in the technology space to not have a massive impact in something like this. There's a lot of people throwing a lot of money around and I'm not seeing results. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Maybe maybe, yeah, people think we've got to do it because it's got to be better, surely. It's something new. But like you say, is it is it going to be better? Is, is it worth it? And I don't think we know the answer. Yeah. Fair enough. Moving on. A little story about Johnny Ive. Did you see this one about the red nose, Johnny Ive's red nose? I did see it. And I may have ordered two and gave them to my children last weekend because my kids love a red nose and we usually watch a bit of red nose with them. And why wouldn't we support it? And so I got them and gave them to them on the weekend. And they quite enjoyed them, actually. They're really nicely made. Like, very, very nicely made. Very paperish. It's a, it's a red nose. It's got two plastic bits. Yeah, it comes in a nice little box with a, with a bit of recyclable like paper tape on it. You open it up, and basically you've got a folded red nose, and you open it out, and it's like one of those traditional sort of Christmas decks that's made made of nice paper, and and it just springs onto your nose. Very well done. To be fair, I, I don't know why he's done this, but I thought it was kind of cool. And yeah, made me buy them, and they were two pound fifty on Amazon delivered. So, and you're supporting a good cause, so why not? I agree with you. Red Nose Day is a terrific thing. You know, since it's launched again, must be getting on for 30 years ago by this point, I thought they had a partnership with Sainsbury's to sell these things. That's where they always used to go and get them in the past. They were made of rubber or plastic or something like that. You'd stick them on your nose. They were a bit of a laugh for a bit. And then I suspect quite a lot of them are then taking up landfill. In many cases, you're probably better giving your 50p to £2.50 straight to the charity rather than actually buying a red nose to celebrate it. But, you know, ignoring that for a minute, it's quite cool that Johnny Ive is a product designer and this is a product. And to be able to give something back to the community that's largely recyclable, plant-based materials, I noticed they say that it's made from largely plant-based materials, that's great. You know, if it's going to biodegrade eventually or be recyclable in some way, as opposed to the plastic or rubber ones that, that wouldn't, fantastic. Interesting they've gone to Amazon. Why have they stopped selling them in shops then? I wonder if this is a post-COVID decision of if we just give people a link, they can buy and get it shipped straight to their door. Why wouldn't we do that? I, I guess I've got no response. It looks good. For those who, are, who don't live in the UK, Red Nose Day is, it's not Red Nose Day, it's for Comic Relief is the name of the sort of telethon that goes on with it. A bunch of comedians started it to get money to people in need in Africa and around the world. I think it does actually help people in the UK these days as well for those in poverty or in, in particular. It's raised a huge amount of money over the years and it's a, it's a really good cause, you know. I, 
definitely one that's worth supporting. You get some quite funny stuff on it. And, you know, if buying a red nose gives some money to the charity and Amazon are happy to support that and absorb some cost out of it too, then fantastic. It's, it's a great thing. And I'm quite glad it's, it can be a bit more planet-friendly at the same time. I love that the product photography on Amazon's website is like an Apple product. Like you got a real close up of of the of some of the plastic and how it all clips together and stuff. And it's a well designed product, and it's nice to see something different in this space. To be honest with you, so I think it's kind of cool. And like I say, I I spent five pounds and bought two, and why not? I am support the charity, and we give again on the night. But it was nice stuff to me for the kids to play with. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big fan. Like I said, I got it just because I thought, oh, I'll see what Johnny's done in that space. What's he done to revolutionise the red nose? It is good to see. I mean, I remember reading sort of early chats with Johnny talking about his inspirations for coming up with products and things. And it was always looking at other people's products. I think Dieter Braun is somebody who sort of highlights an awful lot with fil- with razors and things like that and that sort of smoothness and cl- clarity of function for something that he was creating. And it's interesting that he's bringing that purity and clarity of function at the development of a red nose. So uh, well done, Johnny. It's a proper product design thing. Yeah, he's got some skills, doesn't he, to be fair to him. He does. He does. And, and you know, he's, they have handed him a knighthood for these things. And so much of his stuff is still out in the market. So, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Should we move on? Moving on. You can tell the next story. And so Dow are planning job cuts. So we spoke a little bit about job cuts. In the tech sector, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, and Dow are due to lay off 6,650 staff, which is about, I thought I'd read somewhere, it's about 5% of the business, which is just nuts, isn't it? I mean, the sheer quantities of people being laid off when we've just been through two years of there not being enough people, it seems like we've now got too many everywhere. So it's not good as well. And PayPal are doing the same. They're letting 7% go, which is circa 2,000 people. Zoom are doing something equally. They're letting over a thousand people go. I had no idea so many people worked at Zoom, if I'm brutally honest. So, and I get when you set up a company, it's not just you need the techies to run all the software. You know, you've got to have obviously admin functions, HR functions, managers, etc. But some of these companies employ a lot of staff. It's it's amazing, isn't it? Dell's a big company. I mean, I don't know what your corporate estate is like. In the NHS, we bought Dell. In the education sector, we largely buy Dell you know, servers are Dell, you know, it's just, it's just what you buy. And my experience of buying Dell stuff in the NHS was the reason you bought Dell was to come and fix it almost immediately. Yeah, same. So we, we buy Dell, we've got the pro warranty on it. They come out, it gets fixed. It's good for three years. After three years, if it's unfixable, we will recycle it and, and get a fresh device. You know, I was at a, an office recently and we're swapping over their hardware in a few weeks and they were all worried they were going to have to give up their HP devices and have a Dell. I've never seen an office, you know, provided with corporate devices that have cared so much about which brand of laptop they get. It was very interesting to me, and I was not prepared for it. Some of the HP ones are quite nice, but I don't know why you need banging speakers on your work laptop. That's madness. I when I, when I was an NHS employee, we went through the Hewlett-Packard. Oh, my gosh, my brain has just gone blank. Who did Hewlett-Packard buy? You were, you were a blue guy or a red guy? Compaq. Hewlett-Packard and Compaq merged and Hewlett-Packard won because that's the way these things always go. And the Hewlett-Packard stuff was good, but most people were Compaq people and thought they were better. And they always thought it was sort of the worst company won out. Our Hewlett, we had Hewlett-Packard servers for a while. They were pretty unbeatable, but as we started replacing them with other ones, they just weren't as good as the stuff that came before. And then when the Dell ones came in, they were better because the service and support. I mean, they're fairly commodity parts that get put in all of these things really there's not a lot of customization particularly on the server and a lot of workstations or laptops frankly and 
you know, you buy the thing that's right for your business, not just because it's a brand as much as anything else, and it's more of a piece. And it's surprising that somebody's so precious to hang on to an HP laptop rather than just be given something similar from Lenovo or Dell or one of the other just as good manufacturers, frankly. Yeah, I, I was completely flabbergasted with it. One thing we do do at work is we, once we pick a device or a server or a make of access point, we buy the same across the whole estate just to try and restrict down the number of things we have to patch and maintain and drivers, etc. So we do have about 5,000 staff and they will all be on, on the same, same Dow laptop estate. Yeah, makes sense. Why wouldn't you? Anyway, getting back to the point of the story, yeah, there's a lot of layoffs in the, in the tech sector. 5% of their staff being cut is terrible. It fits into that whole piece of all sort of large high sec- technology sector work has been cut. I know Spotify was cutting people as well. You know, there, there's the, the, the layoffs are happening across the board. And you think if Dell are seeing this, it's happening in the mobile phone sector, it's happening in the streaming music sector, you know, it's hard times around the world anyway at the moment because the living increases and weak currencies and housing market freezes and awful earthquake quakes in Turkey and Syria. It's, it's you know, it's it's really bad times all around, isn't it? Yeah, generally horrible, isn't it? And the sheer quantity of people being let go is horrible because it's not like they're going to go from Dow and walk into another job at HP, for example, and, and reuse their skills because they're probably not recruiting either, so... Yeah, not a good time. And it's not just the tech sector. It's, a, it's across a lot of sectors at the moment. Yeah, sad times. Moving on. More news from Microsoft Activision and the, and the purchase of the Call of Duty makers. The UK's Competition and Markets Authority had already expressed concerns about Microsoft plans to acquire Activision, but now they've said they don't really want it to happen. It says Microsoft should sell off the Call of Duty business to help get the deal approved. So they think Call of Duty is too big and is spoiling this deal. It's quite an interesting ruling, isn't it? What happens if Microsoft turns around and goes, why don't we sell off everything else and keep Call of Duty? I guess it's a possibility. There's quite a lot in the deal, though, isn't there, I guess? You know, Call of Duty is by far the biggest franchise, but uh, you know, we've talked about this a lot. I just think it's interesting the CMA are sort of throwing their weight around it this way. Yeah, it is interesting. And like I say, why is everything focused on... Is Call of Duty that much bigger than like, the whole of Blizzard? And I, I don't know. And then there's Candy Crush, isn't there, and some other properties. But... Everybody does seem transfixed on Call of Duty. So they said, you know, they could get rid of the Call of Duty part of the business. Don't take that. Or sell off the Activision part of the business. Or just the Activision Blizzard part of the business. So World of Warcraft, for example. They're just coming up with a variety of ways, potentially, they can slice this, that they can get the deal through. It, it just shows the scale of what Activision have. I mean, was it too big for Activision? Yeah, how, how did they end up buying all this anyway? So why didn't anybody raise an eyebrow then? But it is interesting. And obviously they've grown through acquisition. I mean, I remember Activision from 30 years ago when, when we were pl- playing on our 486s. But it is interesting that it's got so far and yet the CMA has managed to stick its nose in through the UK. So I, I never get how these things work when it's a global deal like this. Of, it must be not how, how have any mergers and acquisitions happened in the past like how did adobe buy macromedia when they literally just bought the, the nearest competitor and sewed up the market how was that ever allowed I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me but i guess microsoft already has a lot of brands with bethesda and others under there and this would just make them too big as well they're worried about this is a provisional ruling the final ruling is due april 26th just to be absolutely clear about it but this is the way they're thinking at the moment and i just want to throw out there that i remember activision from nineteen eighty two with Pitfall on the Atari twenty six hundred. So that's my first memory of Activision. Yeah, I was born then. So I don't remember nineteen eighty two if I'm brutally honest. But um wow. 
I, and you know what? If, if the CMA do make this a final ruling, it'd be interesting to see which which child Microsoft loves the most and which one they're going to set free. Yeah, again, interesting times. And as you've alluded to, it's not just the UK in this, is it? It's America are making rulings about it. The EU have still to make rulings about it, and it's one amongst many. I don't know what happens if the rest of the world say yes. And the UK says, no, are they not allowed to trade in the UK anymore? They're not hardly going to say no Microsoft, are they? What are the repercussions of this? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know how all that unfolds. Like I say, it's weird because it's a global deal, isn't it? So yeah, watch this space for some more Microsoft Activision news. And I've put in the show notes a, a link to Pitfall Wikipedia page, so others will believe me that yeah, Activision was a thing that existed in 1982 and made a little jumpy game called Pitfall, which I have very fond memories of. I think that'll do us for news, Chris. Yeah, should we move on to media? Let's move on to media. First stories with you. Oh, was this me? Sorry, I thought you'd put this one in there. So yeah, I just noticed when I was perusing the Apple Store app that the MLS Soccer Pass is now available in Apple TV+. Plus. So fair play to Apple. They've launched a brand new streaming service. It was a very dull introduction when they had no content, but just had some people talking. And they've slowly chipped away at it. And it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we've now got some more sport in there. So I just thought it was interesting how how they've slowly, slowly just chipped away, you know, adding more content to the service quite naturally. They haven't, they've never really given up and just bought things in. I know they, they bought like the odd movie, but they haven't just gone and bought like a back catalogue of stuff. But it's just interesting how, how they're slowly doing it. And yeah, now you can get the MLS season pass, which is in addition to your Apple TV Plus subscription. So it's fourteen ninety nine a month or it's $100 a year for an entire season. But yeah, just just thought interesting. And it's another, obviously another service for them. So it's more streaming revenue. But yeah, I thought it was interesting. So MLS is Major League Soccer, for those that can't make the translation. It, it hangs with the thing of, the, of American sports, not bothering spelling out their acronyms. NBA, NFL, you know, NHL, all these other various sports that they do. They've got MLS now as well, which I think is a growing thing of interest in the States. Most Americans, football, that football's the wrong shape for them. Super Bowl's this weekend, so, you know, it's definitely the wrong shape. But this is good. You know, they've got a major streaming service. It's quite popular in North America. I think it's quite popular in Mexico and some bits of South America as well, because there's lots of players from South American regions play in the MLS. So this is good news. It's interesting. This one's come to pass really quite quietly. As you say, they sort of got on with it. It's just suddenly launched without fuss. You can put down another, you know, fourteen ninety nine, and and off you go. You can watch Major League Soccer alongside it. So good. If you're into Major League Soccer, have at it. Yeah, I'm not, but they were they're pushing it quite heavily in the app, but I hadn't seen it pushed anywhere else, which which I just found found a bit odd because they probably invested a lot. But I guess we're in the wrong market for it. It's probably more of a thing people are maybe interested in over here, but I'm sure in America it'll be a lot lot more popular. Well, I think if you're into football, our kind of football in the United States, you can get Premier League games on various, you know, either streaming services are available on some of the sporting providers, ESPN and others in, in the States. I don't know. We don't live in the States. But it, it's good that sports fans have got these options and things available to them. I know, for example, if you're an American football fan, you can subscribe to an NFL thing in the UK and get all the NFL games, even though they're shown on a lot of some of the terrestrial channels. Like ITV currently have it. Certainly they're showing the Super Bowl at the weekend. Yeah, interesting. Good that it's there. I, I presume... We've got baseball, we've got football, and others will follow. When are we going to be talking about Apple TV Plus in a few years because they've got too many properties like Microsoft? It'll be interesting to see if it ever ends up like that. I think sports streaming rights are different, though, aren't they? That anybody can bid for them. And all right, they're locked down for five or six years. But, you know, Amazon have got had some rugby games in, in the autumn. Amazon had some tennis stuff. The BBC have got rights for X. ITV have got rights for Y. And every, every five years, they're up for renegotiations. So I, I think it's a slightly different situation. 
Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're right. And look, next up, I've actually watched two films this week, so I'm, I'm quite pleased with myself. So I finally watched The Batman. Have you seen The Batman? I have seen The What did you think? I think Batman was a bit more emo than I'm used to him being. You know, he's got, he's got the black eyeshadow one when he takes the mask off for once in his life. And his hair is very uh, Kurt Cobain, circa 2000 and something. Maybe 90 something. I mean, I'm showing my age now. Amazing soundtrack. Thought that was fantastic. I thought it was an interesting film. I like the fact that he leaned into the detective side of him more than the sort of the the you know the the anti-hero that goes out in a, in a vigilante style although they did get a bit of that in at the end quality film and robert pattinson was very good in it so so i enjoyed it i did have to double take the running time of it because it's like a two and a half hour three hour movie i found it a bit slow if i'm honest to begin with it was like come on let's let's get going i'd like to see i think i would like to see some different characters in the batman films because we've had various takes on a lot of the same characters. Obviously, the Batman's a constant. But do you know what I mean? I think I'd like to see something a bit different in it, some some different arch rivals, if you know what I mean. Because we've seen, like, the Joker before. We've seen Penguin. Sorry, not the Joker, the Riddler, sorry. You know what I mean? And, but I don't know enough of the comics, so I don't know how, how broad a tapestry they've got to play with, if that makes sense. Well, there's, lo- there's lots of bad guys, isn't there? And if you think of the Nolan films, you know, they went through Bane, they went through the Joker, best Joker of all time, obviously. You know, they went through Catwoman, they, you know, they did a the bunch of the characters from that. I think it was interesting, they did the Penguin and the Riddler this time. You know, you don't get the Penguin an awful lot, that's for sure. And you know, I, I forget his name, he's also in the next film we're going to talk about, Banshees of the Irish Colin actor, Farrell. Colin Farrell, who plays the penguin in that is unrecognizable as Colin Farrell. I had to look twice because I was like, I didn't think Robert De Niro was in here because it did look a lot like a very chubby Robert De Niro. Yeah, it, it's a great bit of makeup. It's a great bit of acting, and he's a quality actor. He's, he had a bit of a renaissance recently. I think it's good. No, I did enjoy the Batman. I agree with you. It's a bit long. It could have maybe used a bit more of a savage edit in places. Yeah. Good film. I don't think it's up there with this, certainly The Dark Knight, although that went on a bit too, to be fair. The whole bit with the boats was unnecessary in The Dark Knight. Um, <laughs> that is fair. The Dark Knight is a long film. But I, I don't know. I was I was watching it and I thought, oh, I kind of know how these characters are. And that, that was my only disappointment with it. But I thought it, some things it did a different take on it and I think I'd like to see more a different take. But other than that, I agree. The soundtrack, good. And on the whole, good, good film. Well, It was well shot. Like Some of the direction was fantastic, I thought. I just thought it was... Yeah, you probably just need a bit of pace just to get you going at the start because it started just incredibly slowly. And I, th- I thought to get you into the world a bit more would have been nice to be a, a bit quicker. But no, on the whole, I thought it was really good and I don't know why I hadn't seen it for so long. It's fair enough. You know, I, I did enjoy it. I think the slower pace isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's a detective movie. You know, there should be a bit of thought and, and the way it goes about it. It I had enough good points that I quite enjoyed it. I mean, I do take, the, take your word for it and agree with you that there were some quite dull bits too. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And then I've also watched, and I'm going to mispronounce the name, The Banshees of Inishin. Inishirin, isn't it? Inishirin. Yeah, you're probably right. I've, my pronunciation's awful. Have you seen this film? I have not seen this film. I want to see this film. This one's on Disney Plus, isn't it? So I didn't realise this. So I kind of wanted to see it, but I was a bit mixed of, is it the film for me? Because I wasn't sure from the trailer. But then I opened up Disney Plus. And I was like, oh, it's on Disney Plus for free. I've why wouldn't I watch it? It was great to see Brendan Gleeson in it and obviously Colin Farrell, a great cast. And I watched it and I, I, I quite enjoyed it, actually. I thought, I'm not sure if it was the best film of the year for me, but it certainly wasn't the worst film, but I, I really enjoyed it. So I could recommend Slow Going, a bit different. It was quite nice. It was quite a constrained environment. You know, I, yeah, I thought it was good. Nice to see something different. So Martin McDonough, who directed this, also did In Bruges and also did The Guard, both of which are truly terrific films. 
So I have a lot of time for Mark McDonough. He he tends to stick to the same actors to a certain degree, which isn't a bad thing. You know, most directors have got their muse. If you want to go back to Christopher Nolan, you know, Killian Murphy is certainly one of his. So yeah, I'm very excited. I'm glad to hear he thought it was quite good. They do tend to be quite Irish. That's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, the, 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 the setting of Ireland is as important as what's going on within the films. And Brendan Gleeson's always good value. Yeah, no, definitely. He, he was good. I do like him. Um, I think he's fantastic. I did not realise that he is the father of, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Dom Hill Gleeson, who plays Mr. McGregor in the Peter Rabbit films and plays the bad the bad guy in the last few Star Wars films. I can't think of his name either. General Hux. General Hux. Thank you very much. Because I was explaining to my son, oh, look, that's the Mr. McGregor from the Peter Rabbit films, which obviously my, my children like. And he's like, oh, yeah. And because the, they, they still struggle when they're watching a the film. They're like, did that happen for real, Dad? It's like, no, it's they're actors. They act it out. And, you know, I, I love the naivety of a nine-year-old. So, no, I, I'd recommend I enjoyed it. It was nice to watch. It genuinely was nice to watch something different, if I'm really honest. So, yeah, it's good. So, throwing out another Gleason. You, did you watch Bad Sisters? I can't remember if you watched it. You didn't watch it. So I'll just finish off. The other Gleason brother, Dommel's brother, the other son of, of Brendan, is in Bad Sisters. He plays one of the insurance men in Bad Sisters. So acting dynasty in the Gleasons. Wow, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and he's he's really good as well, actually. Cool. Okay. I maybe Bad Sisters needs to go on a list at some point, but I'm not adding any more until I've watched some of the backlog. Oh, I finished Bad Sisters, which has I haven't put in the list, but I'll quickly talk about here. It's fantastic. I, I'm sorry I paused in the middle between episodes two and four. Strong finish, really impressive, well-directed, well-acted, great music, amazing. Ireland has never looked better, I don't think, than, than, than in Bad Sisters. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And the best, most evil bad guy I've seen in a long time, actually. Mm, okay. Not helping. I'm, um, not, I'm okay. not adding it to your list. Don't worry. You've got a lot, enough <laughs> on your plate. Well, I've, I've just done two things off of this. So I'm quite pleased with myself. Have you seen the trailer for Hello Tomorrow? So I did not know anything about this, but you know, I watched the trailer and thought, Ah, that's kind of cool. I thought it looked really interesting. It's like an alternative 50s where we could potentially go to the moon and you've got flying cars. And it just kind of took me by surprise, but it looked kind of cool and quirky. And I thought, you know what, I'll stick it in there and I might watch this just to see whether it looks all right. And it's also got in it, oh, I'm going to misremember his name as well, a guy from a Good Morning TV show, his name being Billy Crudup. And I probably pronounced him wrong, but he was fantastic in the morning show. So I'm curious to see how good he's going to be in here. Yeah, I hadn't heard of this. So Billy Crudup is in The Morning Show. He also is Dr. Manhattan. If you've seen the film Watchmen, he's he's in that as, as Dr. Manhattan. Very good actor. Can play sleazy very well indeed, actually. Also in this is Hank Azaria, who is in Simpsons, obviously, and is one of the bad guys in the Night at the Museum films. He plays one of the Egyptian bad guys in that. Good voice actor, a lot of fun. And Alison Pill, who has been in the most recent Star Trek TV shows, actually, in, in Picard. And in Scott Pilgrim. She's one of the evil exes in Scott Pilgrim. So that's, that's a bit of a stellar cast, actually. Yeah, and like I say, the, I hadn't seen anything of this show, but it, the concept just looked kind of cool. And I thought, you know, I, this looks quite light-hearted, quite good. So, yeah, I'm going to give that a go. Yep, looks interesting. Very good. I will watch out for it. So keeping with Apple TV+, Plus, I watched another two and a bit episodes. That's my, my theme for this week is two and a bit episodes of Shrinking, which is the psychotherapist show with Jason Segel and Harrison Ford. Yeah, I'm trying to give it its due, but I'm struggling. I think you summed up better than me last time. It's too staged. That's where I struggled. It's, I don't know. This. It's just not... For me, it wasn't quite right. I've got no desire to invest any more effort into it. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a shame because it's a stellar cast, great writers, great executive producer. You know, with, with, with you know, everybody we talked about last time. Yeah, it's not working for me, so I'm giving up on that too. It's a shame. It should be fantastic. It should be. I mean, Harrison Ford's very watchable, but I can only watch him doing that staged thing for a fairly limited amount of time, it turns out. The other thing I started watching and will return to is called Trying, which has been on Apple TV Plus for a while. There are three seasons of it there. It stars Rafe Spall, who we can get a Hot Fuzz reference in, is one of the cops, one of the Andes from Hot Fuzz. And it's terrific. It's really funny. It's really fresh. I think I'm laughing at it more than I laughed at the early seasons of Ted Lasso, the early episodes of Ted Lasso, actually. Wow, I have seen season one. I haven't seen, I didn't know they did two or three, if I'm honest. I really enjoyed season one, actually. It was quite light-hearted and easy watch. Definitely something just to pop on, family, relatively family-friendly with your wife and probably older children, but probably not my two. But no, I, I enjoyed it, actually. I thought it was good fun, good good, good humour in it. And yeah, great, great cast. So I, I, w- I would give it the thumbs up. Yeah, so in case it's passed you by and you are surfing around Apple TV+, Plus, having watched Ted Lasso and thinking I wish they did more comedies, check out Trying. It's pretty good. Yeah, agreed. Moving on, games, which is going to be very short and only feature me unless you're going to add something at the last minute to the show notes, Chris. I've got two things to talk about, one of which you'll have thoughts on and the other I'm not sure. The first one is Midnight Suns, which is now Steam Deck compatible. So I have been able, I had a little play on that. So Midnight Suns is the XCOM slash Slay the Spire slash Marvel Cinematic Universe style battler, which have been played a little bit on PC and I've talked about. Runs beautifully on Linux now as well, thanks to the Steam Deck. Works pretty well on the, pretty well on the Steam Deck. I'm quite impressed. If you want to get your hit of AAA gaming on the go, you can now do it on your Steam Deck. So I was quite impressed with that. It's not a game for me, I'm sorry. I think we like quite different games. It doesn't have to be. The point is, if you've got a Steam account, the amount of things you can now play in the Steam Deck that have only just come out, continue to be, you know, become accessible on something that not that many years ago, there's no way in hell that, you know, a Linux-based device would be running these games. Yeah, I don't get me wrong. I think the the technical and developer innovation Steam have done, fair play to them, because it's quite a gamble. And yet, you know what? They've, they've pulled this off. I, th- I think it's amazing, to be honest with you. So I was reading a thing that Valve employed 100 open source developers to bring Proton, which is their sort of shim library that sits in between what a, Win- a Windows game would do and what a Linux game can do to make it work. That's a real investment in the open source community. And they are publishing Proton back into the Wine database to make sure the sort of the fixes go part of the open source community as well. I think that's a significant investment and it's beginning to pay off for them. Yeah, fair play. Somebody who sat down and had the vision to do it and to you know not only do the software side, but also produce the hardware. It's a very big commitment for a company, but it's great to see them innovate and not just carry on just doing the Steam store on your, you know, on your regular PCs. And they did do it on the Mac, but I'm not sure if it really got anywhere on the Mac because there's just not enough games. But now I, I think to be fair to Steam, it's great to see them do this because they have tried things in the past that haven't stuck, but this, they do seem to have found a hit with the Steam Deck. Yeah, we might revisit the Steam Deck a little bit later. Too. The other thing I've been playing a little bit of, I was surfing around on my PlayStation and I realised I had the PlayStation Classics Collection, which I think I got because I bought a PS5. So they give I away... I don't know. I think they gave away 16 games on the transition from the PS4 to the PS5. If you bought one, they're going to go away next month. So if you have transitions from PS4 or PS5, go through them and make sure you claim them in your library. One of the games is Uncharted Lost Legacy, which is the only Uncharted game I'd never played. It doesn't star Nathan Drake, based on what I've seen so far anyway, who's the main character of the games. It's got two of the other characters in it. I've played the first mission. Oh, it's nice playing Uncharted again. What a quality game that is. 
So I played Uncharted 5 on the PS5. I bought the Lost Legacy and the previous one because they were in like a double pack. I played them both through, loved it. I, I don't know why, that, and it's probably why I'm enjoying The Last of Us by the same games company, but just fantastic games. Just really well done. Great to have a bit of story, a bit of action. And yeah, I think they're fantastic. I really enjoyed it. And actually, my, they're not quite for children, but my kids had a go to, and they really enjoyed playing them too. Yeah, they're great games. They've got, they really do create a world properly. You know, superb voice acting, really well-realized characters. There's a story as well as just bang, bang, shoot, shoot. And actually, it's probably closer to Tomb Raider than anything else, really, with the puzzle-based elements of anything. I'd agree with that. You've got a bit of puzzle, you've got story. But for me, I get, I, I turn off when there's too much story. I think they get the level right. There's there's story to, to string it all together, but there's plenty of action to get on with. And I, I think they've they've found the right the right balance. And the win for me is they've got Claudia Black voicing Chloe. If you don't know Claudia Black, she was in Stargate SG-1 and Farscape. And a Vin Diesel film, which will come back to me in a minute, is Pitch Black. She's in Pitch Black as well. It's really great to hear her voice. She's really good. Actually, the character in the video game looks quite like her too, so I thoroughly enjoyed listening to... uh, Seeing that realised too. You don't often hear the film Pitch Black come out that often, do you? You don't. It's not a terrible film. It's not a terribly good film either, but it's kind of it's kind of average. I think we can go with. Yeah, it has its moments. It's probably better than its sequels. <laughs> I last watched Pitch Black in two thousand when it came out in our halls at university. I can remember it now. Yeah, I haven't got a lot of time for Vin Diesel. I have a colleague at work who thinks he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I can't think of many films I've watched him in and thought, "Wow, what a great leading man." Fast and Furious films, none of them have done it for me. It's. Yeah, he's not the greatest actor in the world. I enjoyed the first Fast and Furious. I didn't enjoy the first Fast and Furious. Okay. <laughs> I I went to the cinema to see Fast and Furious. In fact, somebody we were in university with made me go to the cinema and, and, and see the first Fast and Furious. And I remember thinking, what am I watching? This is terrible. Obviously, they didn't like you very much. Well, yeah, well. <laughs> Less said about that, the better. Anyway, moving on. Should we do the main show? Yeah, let's do it. So, we get two stories, which we'll we'll cover sort of in a fairly shallow way, I think. Well, it's probably better if you go off and actually read the articles in some ways. But two main events this week. One of which is Apple's reports for the quarter one, which were last week, actually, just after we podcasted, they released them. And the second one, just Apple report card, which we'll come on to in a minute. So, this is from February the 2nd. Apple reports quarter one 2023 earnings miss a midweek iPhone sales and supply shortages. I think before we could dive into the details, it's not really that much of a surprise, is it? They forecasted they were going to have weak earnings. Yeah, I mean, obviously being a public company, they've got they've got to set investors' expectations and announce when things things are going to be missed, basically on forecasts and things. But I love how they say weak, but they still cleared sixty five billion dollars of iPhone sales, which is still just a huge number. And I know, I know it's down. So the reason it's down is obviously various supply shortages and production issues with a lot of the manufacturing being done in China, and they had lots of COVID restrictions during this period, and that's why why the numbers down. I think the way Apple framed it is they had enough demand, but they didn't have enough supply. So that's how they phrased it like that. And you would have seen on TV, there was commercials for the regular iPhone, but not for the pro iPhones because they just couldn't make them quick enough with all the various issues. And then you knew when they were back manufacturing the game because they flipped the adverts over again to be back to the iPhone 14 Pro. So that's a little bit of background. Yeah. So there's two links in the show notes. There's the uh, 
95 Mac article talking about the overall thing, which, as Chris has said, you know, the amount of money they've made. So on the iPhone, 65.7, billion versus 71.63 billion in the quarter before. For the iMac, 7.74 billion versus 10.85 billion for the quarter before. So it's the quarter one year ago. iPad, 9.40 billion versus 7.25 billion. So iPad is up. iPad is up 30%. Insane. Yeah. Wearables for home and accessories, 13.4 versus 14.7. So only slightly down on that one. And services, 20.78 billion versus 19.5 billion. So services and iPad up in this quarter, which isn't what we were talking about the last time we went through these results. No, so it's weird. Yeah, iPad and services are up and the other three categories down, which isn't what you'd expect at all. Now, iPhone's down because of production. Was the Mac down because people were waiting for these new Macs to come out and they didn't get announced? And we discussed this last week, I think, where when they did get announced, the new M2 MacBook Pros and the Mac Mini, the, the, in the address bar, it said 22 on it. So it, it looks like the Mac was down because they, they couldn't release them in time. And I wonder, obviously... I would suggest if they were released in time that that number would would have at least matched probably the previous year, assuming production was there. I mean, then wearables, I don't know why wearables was down because they they did announce new watches, new AirPods. So they had quite a lot of new products in that space. But I'm guessing though the Series 8 was not really a compelling upgrade if people just wanted to go from an earlier model because there wasn't much in it. And obviously the Ultra, which you and I both have, is quite an investment. Yeah, so I've got a couple of thoughts. The iPhone, I agree with you. I think it's about production. If they could have made more iPhone Pros, they would have sold more iPhone Pros. The iMac, my, sorry, I shouldn't say the iMac, the Mac in general. There were new new products you know, in, in the last quarter or last year for people to buy. But I also think anybody that was needing a computer bought one at the start of the pandemic or there or thereabouts. So there was a pent-up demand. We all knew the Intel ones were going away. We jumped on the, the M1s in its various form when they came on. They released the M2 MacBook Air, which was huge demand for because everybody likes the M2 and it's a great computer at a good price. So why wouldn't you want an M2 MacBook Air? So what they released later on a little bit, particularly with the M2 MacBook Pros, I think pros that bought the M1s weren't aren't rushing out to buy the M2s. There's not enough of a jump for them. And the whole global PC market is down for the same reasons. People aren't buying laptops and desktops. They got them during the pandemic. That's also, I think, related to the layoffs that we see in Dell, for example. You don't need to make so many if the whole global demand for computers is gone. So that's my thinking on the on the, on the Mac. I think the M3 will see a, a, a jump up again. So that's just my take. The iPad, they released new iPads, didn't they? They did. They did a new iPad Pro, which was not a big update. It was just a new chip and a new Wi-Fi standard. So very dull update i think for the m2 ipad pro but they did announce the the new 10th generation regular ipad which got them over to the removal of the home button design the USB-C, and they had a new keyboard and kickstand piece with it so and it does look a great device other than using the, the first apple pencil the new base level ipad looks fantastic and i would be very tempted if, if I was buying one for my children, I would get that device because I think it looks fantastic. And the fact you can have a keyboard on it and a trackpad. So I'm not surprised the iPad is up. I'm surprised how much it's up. 30% is a huge one over what was quite a mixed set of upgrades. I agree. But coming up to Christmas, it's not the most expensive device. If you haven't upgraded your kids or you want to give your, your significant other something, it's actually not a bad device, is it? You know, it's got all the streaming services on it. You can read your Kindle books on there. You can get on and do it. What's the new iPad? Give me that one. Job done. So to me, it makes sense that an iPad's going to go up a new version of the iPad, particularly in a nice funky color or something like that with some nice accessories. You can use a little bit more than use the last one. 
I kind of understand why the iPad would be up. The one I don't understand is the next category, so wearables, home, and accessories. That we had AirPods Pro 2 in this quarter, or was it the quarter before? There'll, there'll be some bleed over for when it was released. So I'm surprised there isn't a little more growth in wearables, home, accessories, because that's a stocking filler as a, as a set of AirPods. I think it's just the watch that's held that one back because the Series 8 watch just didn't didn't do anything for anybody. It was, you know, a, a largely meaningless update. And it, would only, it was probably only a few people, a few, say 50% of the people would have bought an Ultra instead because they've got the money to do it. And, and there was enough of a driver to do it, but not everybody would want the Ultra because it's quite a big statement watch. So, yeah. so that's my view. And services up because services always up. I'm not surprised by services. I think that that's just like we just talked about the MLS piece is slowly going to creep up. But like like I say, these numbers are big numbers. I mean, any one of these product lines on their own is a big company, let alone having them all under one company is insane. Totally, I agree. So, I mean, it's interesting looking at the second link in the show notes is to Six Colors, who we're going to visit some of their charts again in a minute. And the one that sort of springs out to me from that is the Apple quarterly revenue by category. And we talked about this last time of how the various products break down within the company iPhone is 56% of the company, iPad is 8% of the company, Mac is 7% of the company, services is 18% of the company, and wearables is 12% of the company. And all those percentages are actually quite close to their revenues, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. And it is interesting how the Mac and the iPad yin and yang a little bit, and the, you know, the, 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 it switches between them. But services has really matured over the years. It's going to be quite sizable now. Yeah. Yeah, some interesting charts in here if you sort of flick through them as they've done them from sort of quarter two. I guess that's, well, I don't know how far that's going back. It's about year-over-year year Mac change, Mac revenue change. The Mac is down 29%. It's probably its, it's biggest fall in a long time, actually, for this quarter going back. It was up 25% in the last quarter, not like not the year before, but the quarter before. It was up 25%. It's dropped to minus 29%, which is its big, biggest fall on this chart, certainly. So that's slightly worrying. I guess, as you say, if they'd managed to release the M2 Pros, maybe that wouldn't have been quite so bad if there was some pent-up demand there. But I genuinely think there's there's no demand, particularly for desktop laptop computers at the moment. I think the problem is with general laptops, whether it's PC or, or Macs, they just they last a lot longer now. I think, they, you know, 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, you all wanted the next device because it was such a monumental upgrade. But until you do the, you know, the trip change, chip transition which we've just been through that's when you get a big upgrade but then it's relatively incremental so devices do last last a lot longer i think so i'm I'm not surprised by any of this what has surprised me though is if you look at the ipad revenue chart it's the highest ipad revenue quarter we've had since 2018 which well and who knows what it looked like before then but it's massive i mean that's the highest one in the last four or five years so it's it's unreal isn't it that it's bounced up that high especially when all the negative feedback around ipad os over the last few months so interesting to see yeah yeah it is interesting there's obviously still a, a decent demand for ipads similar to what there is for macs and again it's a it's a less expensive device than a mac and in cost challenged homes at the moment if you are needing a new device then it's quite a multifunctional device most members of the household can use your ipad the younger kids and things like that aren't going to pick up your Mac and start using it, even for all the experiments you've started doing. So I just think this makes for quite interesting reading, really. And, you know, the, the other chart, I think we'll probably move on in a little bit. But iPad has continued to go up. Mac's very up and down, depending on what's, depending on what's going on, which isn't a surprise. But the wearable one looks very seasonal. For when they introduce a new product, if you look at it, you know, you can probably go back and chart the spikes. You know, in 2022, Q1, 
for a new you know AirPods Pro coming out or something like that. There's there's a correlation between oh I must have the new Apple thing to HomePod stick on my counter or AirPod stick in my ears, as opposed to some of the other products. It's very fashion driven. I think part of wearables though is the price points they hit. Your HomePods hundred pounds, your AirPods. 150 pounds say up to 250 and then your watch is sort of 350 upwards uh, that's more gift giving amounts of money so i'm not surprised that it's very seasonal and it is the christmas season when when it really really performs well so i think a lot of that is presents because it is like i say a lot more affordable to give as a present yeah does make for interesting reading. I quite like looking over the financials. That you know, it's it, they always make money. You know, oh, they, they've made a few less billions this year than the ones before. As you've said, any segment of those charts would be a sizable business by itself. But you know, they get criticised because they fail to hit a particular percentage or a particular predicted growth in the volatile markets we've got across the world at the moment. And in, in, in lieu of everything that's going on, wars, earthquakes, and other things, it's amazing they continue to make as much money as they do. Yeah, no, agreed. And they've still got it all in the bank as well. So they're going to be able to weather the storms, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They are. Should we move on to the next story? Yeah, let's do it. But just to comment, I mean, Apple aren't letting anybody go either. So hopefully they've got the right people in the right places. And it's it's often reported that Apple do run a bit bit light in areas. And I think they, there was talk of them having a hiring freeze. But it's great if they can have a hiring freeze, but not actually let anybody go, which is very different to the rest of the, the sector. Yeah. So I the, the next story is the Six Colors Report Card. So Jason Snell, who has his own podcast with Mike Hurley called Upgrade and Comparable Podcasts, which are very good. I recommend it. you go and check them out. If you quite like ours, you'll probably quite like theirs as well. Very slightly similar subjects, but Jason has been a journalist. He worked for Macworld and others. And what he does is every year he goes around with a lot of his friends and other influencers in the Apple space and he asks them to rate the various product categories. It's a very long article. Not a tough read, but they do get all the sort of various comments and things. So we've put other people we've talked about in this podcast before, people like James Thompson, they'll fill in report cards for what they're doing. He'll do all the numbers and talk them up and give you sort of an overall grade of what all the Apple pundits think of the various product categories. So I don't suggest we go into this a lot of detail. I think we'll leave it for the listeners to have a look through themselves. But if we sort of flip through the top categories and see what if we'd agree with them. So for the Mac... The various pundits have given the Mac a grade A-, minus, an average score of 4.2, a median score of 4. Last year's score was 4.6, so down a little bit on last year, but another good year for the Mac is what they're saying. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, just that M2 MacBook Air, what a fantastic device. We had the Mac Studio, so two great releases. It's been a solid year. They've really turned the Mac around because if you look back here, if you look back to 2016, the Mac didn't score well just on user feedback because... That's when we, we started getting the butterfly keyboard and, we, and they just took their eye off the ball for a number of years. And I think, yeah, since they've started on this upward trajectory, we've seen some fantastic devices. So, yeah, not a surprise. Yep. M1, M2, Mac Studio, Apple Studio Display. All fantastic devices. Yep. I, I agree. It's definitely a high A for me. If, if they'd have got the two Mac Mini and MacBook Pros at the end of the year, they'd, they'd have had fives all around, I'm sure. No. They get points knocked off because of macOS. Ventura se- Ventura has issues. System settings is one of the worst things I've ever I've got to face. I I hate system settings so much I almost don't want to open it to look at things. Other than that, it's unblemished for me. I think the Mac has come it's come really good the last couple of years. Yeah, agreed. So next category, he said scrolling because it's a very long article. iPhone grade B plus average score three point nine, median score four. Last year was a four. 
So down a little bit on last year. And again, I think that's fair. I don't think the iPhone 14, as we talked about in this podcast, is that exciting compared to the iPhone 13, really. I think the Pro is a bit more interesting with the dynamic island, the always on screen. There's two big things in there, I would suggest. So for me, it's a little low because I, I think they had a stellar year on the Pro model. I think the regular iPhone is a bit disappointing. Yeah, the Dynamic Island is interesting, but have they gone very far with it is the thing. I, I, I don't think it's particularly world-changing. I've seen a few of them in real life now. I've seen people with them. I know it's the always on screen. I keep thinking people have failed to click off their phones more than anything else. There's something wrong with it when I see them out in the world. Dynamic Island is interesting, but I don't think it's a game-changer. It's a, it's a very evolutionary step, which is Apple's way. I don't think it's terribly exciting. Like I didn't feel compelled to upgrade to it just for the Dynamic Island. I love it. Do you know why I love it? Because it, it's just there the whole time. And you, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to change how you use the phone. It just it, it just kind of works. And I think that's Apple at their best. You know, like when you flick onto silent, the notification comes around it. When you're playing some music or your AirPods, you get the little animation. You get the album art. I, I think it's really good. I'm a, I'm a massive fan of it. And I think, do you know what? Most people that probably reviewed it have got so used to it. And that's it. That's when you know you've done a good feature because people are just interacting with it and you're not having to retrain yourself to use it. So I think it's fantastic. I think they've marked it a little life. I think that's fair. I'll come back to the software side of it again. I think iOS 16 has been great. It's been very solid. I've had no particular issues with it. We, we both went through the beta. If you remember, it was the easiest beta period we've ever had. Yeah. Agreed. It's it's good. I think they do need to try a little harder on the hardware next year. I suspect we're going to get a bigger upgrade. I think we're going to see dynamic islands in more places. And I think we're going to finally get the USB-C. Holy grail, we've been promised, certainly on the Pro phone. So we shall see. Moving on. I, I would like to see USB-C. Come on now. Let's yeah. get rid of a cable out the bag. Absolutely. Moving on. iPad. Grade C, average score 3, median score 3, last year 3.7. So it's dropped a fair bit, the iPad. They comment that the iPad took a precipitous fall for its lowest score in the history of this survey, which is interesting. There was some praise for the iPad 10th generation, but even that product got dinged for its confusing Apple Pencil story. Exactly what you just said. Apple shouldn't have bothered with the Apple Pencil one on this. They should just, just said buy a Logitech crane. But think about the iPad, though. They launched the M1 iPad Air. They launched the M2 iPad Pros. They launched the 10th gen iPad. I think this is too low. I think that's a solid round of updates for me. I disagree. Of, of hardware. You're an iPad fan, so you're going you're gonna to look at this in a better way than I am. I think the lineup is too confusing. I think having I don't all, disagree with that. You know, do you buy an iPad Air? Do you buy an iPad Pro? Do you buy an iPad Mini? You know, this one works with this. This one doesn't work with that. The pencil sticks to the side of the other. I think it's all over the place. I don't disagree, but it's all over the place before this round of updates. I think they've had, They've updated nearly every model this year, and there's some good updates in there. There's lots of performance. It's great you can buy an iPad Air and get the M1 in it, and do screen, you know, do the screen mirroring and and, and extended screen. So I think it's a good round of updates. I think this is a little harsh for the amount of work that's gone in. I think iPad OS is could have had a better landing with how they brought in Stage Manager. I think there's a few missteps in it. We haven't seen enough iteration on it. It's definitely a lot more solid. They've ironed out all the bugs, but there's some design choices that they need to make or give some settings so that you can tweak it to, to suit how you want to operate. Uh, it feels a little low for me for the the hardware that's come out. I think on the whole, the hardware is very good. I don't disagree with the confusing pencil piece or that they've got too many 10 to 11 inch iPads, but that's a nice problem to have in a way. Well, yeah, I think the hardware's always been good though, generally. You know, if you were to go back and pick up an iPad Air 2 or something like that, you'd think I had good hardware. So 
you know to be fair the ipad's always been a really good device like you give it, i've given it to my kids three four years ago and they're still using the same device now they're fairly robust they are well made so i, I don't disagree with that statement it's a high bar it is it's well-made hardware of course it is you had an m2 ipad you didn't notice much of a difference you'd probably see more of a difference if you'd come from something a lot older. And I think that's the problem. It's quite dull. I think the lowest end one is the most interesting, but it's also compromised. So I'm happy with this score. I think I'd have scored it in a similar way. It's not as good as it should be, frankly. It's too expensive for what it is. And your experience has taught me that the accessories aren't all they could be either, frankly. And that's without going into the bit of a horror show that is, is stage manager so i'm glad they're continuing to innovate i'm glad they're bringing out products i think they need to kill products up out of the lineup and have clearer narrative about what it is that they're doing maybe they don't want to show us the whole story because we're going to have USB-C across the line it's pretty much USB-C across the line anyway now in the ipad frankly but confusing i think it's a fair score i'm talking to you on my ipad using the camera whilst my 27 inch screen is driving four other windows you wouldn't have thought we'd have got that a year ago it's a fair point, but I'm talking to you on a Mac with you know a 34-inch widescreen. It, it, it's no, it's no big deal. It's it's a computer with a chip that can drive all manner of things. It is a big deal for the iPad, though I think, because a year ago we didn't think we'd get this. So I think I think they've come a long way. I think three for the amount of effort that's gone into the iPad line this year is too low. I don't disagree that it's a little of a confusing lineup, and they could have made some different decisions. Same with Stage Manager, but they've come a long way with it, and it's great to see them keep keep moving it forwards i want you to put in the homework not for next week but for you, you can scroll back in the document you can put it in and we'll come up with some scenarios for what ipad should somebody buy and i want you to give me a clear story at some point oh my lordy i think i might struggle this is it you know a, a child of x should they buy this an adult of y who wants to do this what should they buy and a clear answer on why and at that point if you can convince me on that episode i'll i'll, I'll give you half a point on this score Half a point. Wow. You can go from 3 to 3.5. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Moving on, wearables and Apple Watch. Grade A overall, average score 4.4, a median score 4, last year 4. So that's a decent increase, I'd have said, up to 4.2 from 4. They say it's good in wearables land. Apple Watch Ultra refresh the product line and AirPods continue to impress, and I can only agree with this. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I love my my Apple Watch Ultra. I think it's fantastic. So yeah, I think that's fair. Again, I'd say this is a little. I'd probably say this one's a little high in a way though, because the eight, the Series Eight didn't really do anything, uh, which is the which is the watch for for nearly everybody. So I think it's probably a little high, is my view, and probably tainted by the Ultra and the AirPods too. I don't mind this so much. I think the AirPods Two are great. I think the Ultra shows they can do something different with the watch. I think if you were coming from an Apple Watch 5 or 6 to an 8 and not a 7, you'd be quite impressed with the upgrade. People don't buy them every year. The 8 is only dull in comparison to having had a 7 or, or maybe having an Ultra or something like that. I still think it's a solid watch. Better battery life, better software features. I, I agree with this score. I think this is completely fair. Okay. Moving on, Apple TV, grade B, average score 3.6, median score 4, last year 3.1. So this is a decent increase on the apple tv the comment is it's a positive trend for the apple tv in two years its score has risen dramatically because a they introduced a new apple tv and i think it's quite a solid product now yeah i, th I think to be fair it's a shame they're not doing more with the os it, it seems to very much be somebody's pet project they've got like two, two people working on it in the entire company but uh, it I love my Apple TV. It's the only thing we use in the house. I've not bought any new hardware because there was no no discernible need, but they are moving it forward. It's great that they're not just leaving the old products languishing like they used to do. So and I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think 
It's a bit generous, maybe 3.6. I just said, you know, 3.2, 3.3. It is an incremental upgrade. I don't really like the division between the no Ethernet port, Ethernet port on the lower costed one compared to the higher. There's no reason they couldn't put that in there, frankly, and d differentiate it on, on memory as they've done before. And only putting the thread radio, I think, is, in the, is the more expensive one as well. That's a bit rubbish too. So it is an incremental upgrade, but I presume they sell more of the expensive ones than the cheap ones. I think if they were going to take the Ethernet port out, not do the thread, they should be hitting the £99. That's what they should have been targeting, if I'm brutally honest. Yeah, no disagreement. I think we're, we're, we're together on that one. And then services category, grade, grade B+, average score 3.8, median score 4, last year 3.6, with slight increase on this. I think services have been fine. Apple TV Plus is good. There's the subscription bundle now. We can have all of our things in one box. I don't really want Apple News. I, th I don't think it brings anything to me particularly. I don't mind it. It gets sort of an added extra, but... Mm. I like the Apple One bundle because I was paying for the music, the storage, and I think Apple TV, and I'm happy just to get it all in one go. I use Apple News Plus a little bit. I occasionally look at a couple of car mags or photography mags. Probably not enough but to warrant paying for it separately, but it's nice. It's just there if, if I want to dip into it. So no, I think services is solid, and Apple TV Plus just keeps getting better, as we discussed earlier. Yeah, I've no real arguments. And one thing I would say... I've got a criticism about it as well, is that iCloud Sync is pretty seamless now. It just works. That's fantastic. I would like a button to force it. What the hell is it doing sometimes? But other than that, I'm pretty happy with it. It's, it's turned into quite a reliable service. Yep, no, agreed. We'll just finish on HomeKit because we've talked about it so yep. much here. And uh, 2.7 last year, 2.7 this year. I'd agree. There's not a lot. Of, it's a D plus, by the way, the overall grade. Fair. I think... I guess the, the HomeKit architecture was this year. They announced it last year. So I think they showed good signs last year that it was going to be a more exciting year, but it's sadly just not really done anything. So I, I agree with the result it, it got given. I think this year, if it doesn't go up, that Apple have failed because they've got the new architecture. They've obviously brought in new HomePods. They, they must be doing something with, with the iOS app and the HomeKit piece, but I just don't think we've seen the whole matter HomeKit story come through yet. And I, yeah, it feel, feels like there's some more work to be done there. So, so I think this is fair. Yeah, I'd agree with you. It's, it's a comment here from Stephen Hackett. 2022 felt like a year waiting for HomeKit. And that's certainly what we did on this podcast every week. Matter's coming. Matter's coming. Whilst I'm happy I haven't spent any money, I'm disappointed I've got no new cool home HomeKit toys to play with. There we are. I have read some stories from users in America who are having to disconnect their Ethernet, Ethernet socket from their Macs to make HomeKit work. It seems to work better on wireless than it does wired, which is rubbish. Go figure. Anyway, we won't go through all the software, as you've quite rightly pointed out. It, as I've said a couple of times now, it's a long document, but it is worth a look. They've been doing it since 2015, and it's quite interesting to see what the, the rest of the pundits think about it, other than just our take on every time. And pretty much we're in agreement with them, I think. Yeah, it's always good, isn't it? It's always good. We don't talk complete nonsense all the time. Anything else for main show? No, I don't think so. Good. We've had a listener question. We very much thank Martin Cox for writing in with this question, which I will read out. Martin says, Hi chaps, new listener, enjoying the shows. Should I buy a Steam Deck or a PC? I'd be interested in your thoughts on advantages and disadvantages of each system. It seems fairly squarely targeted at me, this one, but do you want to take your, your swing at it first? Yeah, I think it is targeted at you. I, I guess I would have a couple of 
qualifying questions around this of well do you have a monitor do you what do you want to do with it are you just want to play steam games how techy are you so so there'd be a couple of my questions so i would base on that and also what, what your budget is part of me says if you want to play some steam games and you want to do do it on the go like with a switch it's a no-brainer to get a steam deck because whilst they're not cheap they're relatively inexpensive for what they do so that that would be my my view of the world but you are definitely the gamer amongst us so what's your view and I've got a Steam Deck. Fair so, point. yeah, so I think there there is a lot there, as Chris says, to unpack it. Without getting a bit more detail, it's hard to sort of really drill down it. My superficial take would be, what's your budget? And have you got a Steam library? Steam Decks, as Chris has said, you know, for about 500 quid, you're going to be up and running with a quality piece of hardware that can play enough of the Steam store that it's going to be worth it to you if what you want to do is go and do mobile gaming. So it's a really impressive system with a high-quality screen with just enough battery that works really well with Wi-Fi to play Steam games. And as we've already talked about in this show, you can play some of the newest things, Marvel Midnight Suns and others. It's a very open device. You can get in and do things with it if you want to fiddle with it. You know, it, there's, there's a huge amount of things you can do. And you can even plug a USB-C cable into it, ding, 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 again, and turn it into a small Linux computer if you want to. But you never need to see that side of it. It's a hugely, it's a Swiss Army knife device. It really is. So if you're enthusiastic and you want to get into the guts and run an emulator from a, you know, an N64 or something like that from years and years ago, it's there with a bit of technical know-how. You can do it. There's lots of YouTube videos about how to do it. I won't get into the legalities of downloading, soft, uh, downloading software and playing things like that on it, but it has got that whole side to it where you can do a huge amount with it. And in fact, you can just fire up a word processor if you want and just start typing on it. So, so there's all that sort of the technical geeky stuff. The non-technical geeky stuff is. You can, if you have a Steam account, even if you don't have a Steam account, you can connect to it. You can pretty much find a game that's just come out, Dead Space, which came out last week, for example. You can download it, boom, off you go. You can be playing it at 40 frames per second in a device, in the palm of your hand, in the same way you could be with a high-spec gaming PC. Less frames per second, maybe, but it's a good enough experience that you're going to enjoy it. Your battery's going to be dead in three hours, but that maybe not be the end of the world. You know, you can get on and you can do things. It's a, it's a real good experience from that point of view the question comes is that what you want to do do you want a mobile gaming thing or do you want to go out and play the latest call of duty on maximum frames per second on a computer if that's what you want to do there is no substitute for a gaming pc or a playstation 5 or something like that but if what you want is a good enough gaming experience and an excellent handheld experience i'd say a steambeck is kind of a no-brainer it's the only thing that's flexible enough to answer all those various software requirements or playing games and it becomes even more of a no-brainer if you've got anything in a steam back catalog so you know if you've ever bought anything in steam for a mac or a pc or a linux machine over the years at any point and there's plenty of free stuff in there too to be to be brutally honest you're going to have a pretty good experience and in fact i find myself playing games in the steam deck i've made more of my steam library than i would have and actually it's quite enjoyable. It makes you feel games in a different way when they're when they're mobile. You'll probably agree with me with this, Chris, that your Switch gives you a different perspective on a game that you may have had on a computer before. Yeah, no, I'd completely agree with you. I think carrying something handheld, I don't know, you're a lot closer to it. I think even if you haven't got a Steam library, though, this is still viable because there's usually so many sales on and so many good games you can get relatively cheaply on it. So I think it is a, is a good device. No, it does look really good and. You, you nearly sold me one whilst you were talking, if I'm honest, because I was listening. I was like, do I cancel my VR order and just go and put the money into one of these instead? Because will, will I get more use out of it? Would the family get more use out of it? So I think you're right where you're heading. But I, I, 
I do think the Steam Library is, like I say, a non-event because there's just so much content on it that is relatively cheap. They've always got a sale on. It, it does look like a fantastic device, to be honest. So that, that's my view. It is. And if you think you've got 500 quid or 450, I forget what the, what the cost of the, of the low-spec one is. You can just put it. Go on, Chris. You've looked it up. The middle of the road is £459, which is probably the one for most people. Yeah, I, I bought the middle spec one. You can buy a fast SD card for 50 to 100 quid, and you can put another terabyte or two terabytes or whatever is in their storage very easily. And it's 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 a fantastic expansion to a device. You, you can't do that with a PlayStation or an Xbox in the same way. You don't need to take any guts out. You can just stick in an SD card. The handheld deals with it and, and off you go. To take 450 and buy a gaming PC at 450 quid, you're going to have a very compri- compromised machine that's barely going to sh- you know, show solitaire, frankly. This has been designed to work with it. So if all you've got is 500 quid and you want to go and get your kicks playing something, buy a Steam Deck. And you determine you want the mobile thing, buy a Steam Deck. I mean, keep in mind PlayStation 5s and Xbox Series S's and X's are similar prices. Xbox S are, are cheaper. That's a very different experience. It's a good experience, particularly we talked our recommendation last year was buy an Xbox Series S and get the Game Pass. But if what you want is mobile, this is what to go for. And you can dock this, can you not, with a plug and monitor in and a keyboard and a mouse? So it, it can also be desktop gaming as well. Obviously, it's not going to be as quick as a fully-fledged gaming computer, but it does have the ability to to be you know that, that, that all-in-one device, in essence. Absolutely. It's. I've been thoroughly impressed with it. I've used it far more than I thought I would. And like I say, this week I've been sitting around playing Marvel's Midnight Suns on it. It's a terrific device. Let's move on before I buy one. I think we answered that. I hope we answered that, Martin, fairly comprehensively. If you've got follow-up to that question or you want to fill us in on a few more of your thoughts around it, by all means, come back to us and we'll try and address that a little bit more as well. Anything else for Martin, Chris? No, I agree. I agree with you. You're the gamer and, I, and I'm in agreement with what you've said. Fair enough. We will move on. We're going long, unsurprisingly. So my app of the week this week is an app called Batteries. Link is in the show notes. It's very simple. You might be familiar on your iPhone of being able to swipe down in the control center and getting an idea of the status of your your phone and your AirPods and anything else that sort of happens to be on around you. It gives you your battery status. This is the thing that just puts it in your Macs. Uh, I don't even know what it's called these days. Your notification center, effectively. When you click the area off to the clock on the right, you've got a sort of a dashboard thing that can sweep in from the right where your notifications are and some various widgets and things. This will tell you on your Mac. It is a it is a costed app. I think it's £15. State of charge of your laptop if you're on a laptop, what your AirPods are, if you've got peripherals like your trackpad or your magic keyboard or something like that, what the status of charge is in them. Anything your iCloud account is signed into, actually. It's a really neat little app. It gives you the same sort of widget as you'd expect to get that you get on your iPhone. And it's just quite a nice quick look up if I want to know if my, if my AirPods have got enough charge in them on my Mac before I head off or if I need to leave my mouse on charge, spear, turn it upside down and spear it with the cable before I leave my desk at work. I know without looking, so without just by clicking on the widget. So I'm really quite impressed with it. It's a very simple thing. It does what it needed to. Yeah, it looks a nice little app. And I, I assumed this was already all fully baked into macOS, but clearly not. Not as a widget. You can find the battery thing and click on it and drill down into it. But sometimes I just want to be able to look it up and this fits the bill for me. Okay, fair enough. And then my thing of the week then, just to, just to finish off, is I've gone for an audiobook this week. So last week I did a book, this week an audiobook. So I listened to Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights book. And I was a bit mixed on this when I started. If I'm really honest, the intro is a bit slow. And I was like, oh, what have I got here? I should recommend this from a friend. But actually I listened to it all the way through. It's fantastic. And he just, it was semi-auto, it's a bit about his life, but also about how sometimes 
getting a red light eye something that you've done wrong or or you got stopped doing actually then became a green light to go ahead and do something else that actually turned out better so i saw his really good book he narrates it himself he's written it himself it's just generally quite enjoyed it nice easy listen when i was doing a commute last week so that's my recommendation brilliant great that sounds like a show yeah, that's the end of the show. So look, we're both on Mastodon if anybody wants to reach out. And equally, you can email us at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com if you've got any questions like Martin did this week. Yep. Good talk to you. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rob. <laughs>